0: Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep There in Watson. Make sure you check out our back catalog. We've recently had episodes on Ethereum, building online courses, the Uber of the outdoors, and many, many more. So check that out, but get excited for today's episode. This podcast, social media, my ongoing efforts to build a powerful, vibrant network has led me to one of my favorite interviews I've done in a very, very long time. Ed Lattimore came on the show to talk about his writing career, his background as a heavyweight boxer, studying physics, and many, many more lessons that he has learned along the way. He is sharp, he is insightful, and someone that I am excited to continue learning from. Definitely give him a follow over on Twitter, at Ed Lattimore, and Pay attention during a relatively long conversation for this show. We just kept going and going because there was so much wisdom for him to share with us, including some commentary on the forthcoming Mayweather and McGregor boxing match. I'll stop rambling, though, and simply let us get to my conversation with Ed Lattimore. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Uh, Well, I actually had like a really well-written question to kick things off, but our conversation before we started actually kind of got my (laughs) wheels spinning in another direction, uh, which is teaching on a subjective topic like English. Uh, You do some tutoring, and it's often in hard science and maths. But the real way, I mean, personally, that I've found to improve my writing, improve my speaking, uh, has been just kind of self-directed reading, more All or right. less. Uh, you do a lot of writing, some, some really good stuff that we're going to link to in the show notes so people can check out. Um, but I'm curious, given you have this interest in hard science, you're studying physics, how you've gone about cultivating your writing skills and oh, okay. how you improve that process.
1: You know, it's funny, one of, I don't know if it's our common link, but definitely a common link between me and Zach is a woman named Beth Phillips. And she asked a similar question and it goes, I'm really surprised that you're writing because you're a hard science person. And generally speaking, those don't overlap, which I wasn't aware of because, and maybe it's the other sciences, but physics. To discuss it properly, to answer questions, and to teach slash learn involves a lot of precise language. Like, we don't think about the difference between speed and velocity, but you better believe when it comes to a physics problem, even though they measure the same thing, one has a direction component, the other is simply a scalar. So, I'm just using that as an example, but I'm using that as an example to make the point that to describe the world around you in a way that other people can, you have to come up with a language and you have to learn that language. And then you have to communicate clearly in that language. And on top of that, and this is, I really hated lab science for a long time. In fact, it was probably one of the things that kept me from pursuing my degree. I was like, man, I really just don't want to do these labs. Why can't I take a test? But one of the benefits of the lab is you get to explain your process for a scientific event a thing that had an objective outcome that you could measure that you more or less knew was going to happen you get to talk through and describe what went on so another person can look at it that the whole goal of any lab is for a person to pick it up look at it and go i will do this experiment the way you wrote it and that requires communication so i'm in a lot of ways to do well in science and even in mathematics writing proofs for example you need To have a very strong, not so much vocabulary, but you need to be able to put things together in a way that communicates an idea clearly. If you cannot do that, you will not succeed in science or life. And that's all it really is, is taking your thoughts, having a point that you want to make with those thoughts, organizing them in a way that people go, I see what you're saying. I may or may not disagree, but if a person can't come away with your argument or at least the you know the crux or the just of your argument just by by reading and writing then you haven't organized your thoughts well enough. So that is where that comes from. The science training forces you to be a good writer and in general I like just when I'm always writing it's very natural for me to think, okay, here's the point I wanna make, here's the idea I want to express, here's that I want to get across. Let me put this clearly for people to read and understand.
0: Gotcha. You mentioned not liking the labs, and you kind of use the past tense. It sounds like that's changed, or just in general, where did that interest start to stir and become something that you deemed worthy of when
1: studying? When I when I became a physics student, because my like my, my background briefly to make you know give this answer some context is I went to school originally like everyone else at the time. You're supposed to right out of high school wasn't ready. Dropped out. Took a long time before I went back. Finally went back. but When I originally went back, I thought I was going to go for mathematics. And then some training in the military, I was like, oh, I'm going to go for electrical engineering. And then I took the first physics class you have to take for for all engineers. All engineers have to take two sequences of physics. And I'm like, no, this is what I want to do, right? And the thing that drew me to it, (laughs) I remember the day clearly, we were doing a lab. There we go. We were doing a lab about projectile motion and using the kinematic equations to predict where a projectile would land and when the projectile landed exactly where my formula said it would i was like wow i just used magic this is what i want to study so what what changed really for me and maybe it was a maturity thing or maybe it was finally like seeing a real example of, of something that like i could use is Seeing that you, you you can't learn by book. I mean, you can you can put facts you can put facts in your head by a book, but it's not till you do a thing can you learn a thing. And that was my first experience. Really going, I really get how this works, but I get it because I've seen it work. And I was I linked the equations and the light bulb went off, and I was like. I don't mind labs at all. Now I look forward to them because this will help me understand. And from that point on in, in the chemistries and the physics uh labs, I really looked forward to doing the lab work because it helped me understand things.
0: I see. With making that type of decision or just in general the writing that you do, you, you talked about, you know, being able to use this precise language and really select the right the right words and, and communicate that effectively. What I think maybe doesn't always get acknowledged or goes unsaid with that, and something you I don't, I don't know if you take this for granted or not is self confidence, the, the willingness to put your name next to an idea or to really put your viewpoint out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm going to speculate here for a second and you can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but that interlude between the first time you were in school and the second time you were doing boxing and you you were serving in the military. I associate both those experiences with confidence building, primarily, especially for men in a security around being able to handle yourself in a wide variety of high stress situations. How much of the confidence that you bring to your writing and other endeavors do you attribute to those experiences
1: uh you said something really really key high stress environments I always tell people right they they ask there's a, I don't know if it's an urban legend there's some truth to it I guess that a boxer can't have a fight with a regular person on the street because they would kill him and then be charged with a with a deadly weapon who knows <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not what I do know is that the one advantage you really have... I mean, it's not not punching. It's not being in better shape. when we're talking street fights. The one advantage you really have is the ability to manage your adrenaline and get a thing done under duress. I learned that in boxing. And I had been boxing before I joined the military, so it made getting through training even easier. Like I remember... I had a direct plan. I'm like, I'm going to enlist, and I know exactly when I'm going to get out from basic training. I'm going to start class. And everything was going fine until week four of basic training when we had qualification for shooting. I am an awful... I'm not an awful shot, but I needed four tries to pass. You're only supposed to get three, right? But I got a fourth one because we had a few really good shots and it was leftover ammo and time. And being able to stay calm and not panic in the face of that stressful situation allowed me to not get recycled because when you get recycled they you, they say you can't shoot time to start basic training all over again aside from going through basic training from the beginning that throws my whole timeline off so where does that tie into writing at some point when you put your name on things when you put what you think what you feel how you see the world out there it doesn't matter how well you articulate it how well you explain it how much logic reasoning or even what kind of person you are someone will disagree and a lot of people are going to disagree really when you think about it even if only one percent of the people read it who have one percent of your following disagrees for me, I mean, that's a hundred and fifty people, right? That's that's not us. and that's, and then they're gonna share it and talk about how they don't like it, and it's gonna it's gonna grow, and you're gonna get a lot of feedback and a lot of hate that doesn't, that a lot of people aren't ready for, aren't interested in, and even though it's only digital, a person can't tell the difference between that. It's that's the same way that the simulations work. People talk about, oh, it's just digital, right? You should realize that intellectually, emotionally. Your body still kind of responds the same, and once you can manage your your stress under a situation of duress, in reality, if you can port that skill to the just the the horrible abuse <laughs> you get sometimes from people who don't like your writing or don't like what you tweet or don't like a picture or whatever, you, you know you'll be fine. But that's where I take that from. That I wouldn't even call it confidence, because a lot of t- I mean not a lot. Most times, I really do finish a piece of writing, and I go, all right, well, I edited it. I feel good about the argument, but there's no way people are going to dig this. And, you know, and they do, some don't. The point is still going through with it. I'm not going through with it and thinking I'm going to make it any more than I enter a fight, and I think I'm going to come out of this unscathed. I just know that I've... Worked on controlling my stress and keeping my mind cool and collected so I can get through and solve the problem or deal with the abuse and come out on the other side in a position to learn from it.
0: When was the first time you really felt like you started to have a handle on that management of your adrenaline reactions? Was it, I mean, you've had 14 fights now. Was it? I'm uh, sure it wasn't f- the first one.
1: 15 pro fights plus in the amateurs. my <sighs> answer Amateur is what I have. 50 something fights maybe 50 60 a few MMA fights well two MMA fights and some jiu matches so but I remember the, for the, very clearly the first time I was like huh I behave differently under stress I was in a movie and I cannot remember the movie and I cannot remember where I was with but this is when I remember and it was a uh, one of those surprise boo scenes and and I just sat there and everyone else jumped and it's not and I was, it's not like I was ready for it. I just went and that's when I realized it, somebody described this once and I can't remember I know it was a fighter he described it as turning the noise down because the noise and the stress of a fight is so high and so loud that regular everyday normal stuff is is kind of muted in uh relative to what you experience on a daily basis of training, sparring and fighting and and I remember that everyone was jumping around. I went I was like, "Huh, well, there's that <laughs> so so my ability to be startled is, is ruined, and, and it's not ruined. I mean, I can still be startled but but it it takes significantly more, and it allows me to think way more calmly under annoying situations and, and I don't remember any specific time for this. But a person maybe says or or does something that, that untrained me. I can't speak for every other human. But untrained me perhaps has a reaction to escalate the situation. Trained me, hears it, and kind of steps outside of himself and looks at him and goes, Okay, well, he said this. He thought this. Well, we can do this, and this will go this way. We can go this, and this will go this way. We want a more favorable outcome. Plus, we got tickets to a movie later. Uh, we're just gonna ignore this. I, I do remember this this incident. This clearly wasn't the first one, but but this this whole thought process, I'll never forget. It was, I think it was last summer, near the end. I was going into Lowe's our Best Buy. I was in the waterfront, and I walked by some some black kid with his girl, and and he went, and the girl was dressed kind of scandalously. And I guess he thought I was looking. Maybe I was. Maybe I wasn't. And he responded, yo, what the, the fuck you looking at? And I thought about it. I was like, okay, I'm a lot bigger than this guy. But if he's crazy enough to say that to me, he might have a gun. And it really just felt like it slowed down in time for me. Uh, and, and what do I get, really, if I respond to him? Well, you know, I can say I did this, and I can maybe talk about it on social media. But if he has a gun, it doesn't matter because I'm probably gonna get shot. Okay, we'll just let this one slide. Just walked on, and and that's what it's like. It's like everything slowed down, and then it just it just kept going right after. But th- that's how I respond to a lot of uh, of duress or stressful situations.
0: I think that a lot of people desire that they want that coolness, but maybe they're so. So there's obviously one area where there's not even a self awareness of. Mm-hmm. I'm a short fuse. I just blow. Some some people don't even reach that point, but I feel like there's, and I actually quite frankly think I might be a little bit in that area where I I can get temper, I can get riled up even though I know after the fact, like why why did that why, why? did I let that get so under my skin? So let's say hypothetically, I don't I don't think I'm gonna go into boxing or maybe necessarily serve in the military. What other avenues can people pursue? to maybe better handle their emotions or or kind of find that calmer ability to turn the noise down
1: well right now i can't think of anything off the top of my head or or rather anything specific what i can say are a list of criteria okay i just thought of one or two right Uh, a list of criteria that it should meet if you want to learn to deal with uh, your emotions. Now you got to remember some about your emotions. They are not. It's not the same realm of uh, rational thought. Rational thought is deliberate. And in a lot of cases. uh, Proactive. You plan for the future. Right. This is why we have crimes of passion. It is a thing because a person is reactive to the moment with their emotions. So what you want to do. You're not going to be able to change how that works. Anyone who says they can. They're lying to you. What you can do is use your ability to to proactively plan and put yourself in moderately stressful situations intentionally. You know this is this is exactly how how vaccines and the whole inoculation process works. And public speaking, for example, is a great way to do this. You think deliberately. I'm going to put myself in this uncomfortable situation. And even if the audience is polite, you're gonna you're creating most of the stress in your mind. So you're gonna be learning to, to deal with it and manage these little subtle things you never even thought about that contribute to why your emotions might be off the handle. For for example, you know, a lot of the, the slight that people feel like they're responding to is nothing more than how they hear a thing filtered through their own insecure voice, right? So if you can learn how to listen to that voice and go, We're in charge here, not you, you get Gain a level. And a great way to gain that level. Is public speaking. Right. Another thing you have to be able to do. Is you have to. You got to kind of take a detached look at things. I don't want to say you shouldn't care. That you'll die or get hurt. But at the same time. You have to realize that ultimately. That's the end result. I mean one day we're going to be nothing but memories. And if, if you remember that. And you can carry that with you more often than not, kind of put it closer to your conscious thought process and your subconscious driving of your of your actions, right? Then you're then you're gonna be a little more detached from a moment. And I think a great way to do that is any kind of meditation. Anything that makes you sit and still your mind separate from the things going around you makes you appreciate your your the finiteness of your body, right? Because as long as you're always being distracted and pulled in different directions by life, you never really get a chance to sit and think about yourself. And, you know, that's why I say sickness is is really good for you. Sometimes it's like an old, like an old joke I heard, sickness is great for you because it forces you to stop moving, force you to stop, force you to sit and contemplate, think about your body and how weak it really is. A lot of people don't do that. And then they're shocked when they're sick and they're like, oh, I can't do a thing. Well, obviously you can't. But if you can put yourself in that position, then you realize the frailty of your mind, the frailty of your body. At the very least, you realize that you can step away from everything going on and listen to it. So those are the, those are, are the two specific things I thought of, public speaking and meditation and the criteria if you can think of anything else to fit those criteria to force you to encounter your your inner voice force you to listen to yourself forces you to think and plan ahead roller coasters are great actually I just thought I about hate that hate roller coasters you know i its funny man i found really the perfect person for me like i mean i'm i'm sure there's like other people out there who I would work just as well with, but I don't have time to find them, man. I am going want to live, like, another 50 years. I got, like, maybe 10 where I look like this, so, like, it ain't ain't gonna happen again, And, (laughs) and it's so funny because we're very similar up here about how we approach things in this deliberate, emotionally controlled type of response to life, and I don't mind roller coasters. I'm not, like, a roller coaster junkie, but I don't mind them. That's the... She's one level of blood. She, she won't touch anything. Risk-taking-ish. risk, risk And I'm because I won't either. You, you're not going to see me bungee jumping on the, on the back of the motorcycles, skydiving, high-hang gliding. I might zip line, I'm still not sure about it. I haven't heard anything crazy going on with zip lines and I can see how it works. It's not that they're very there are fewer elements of chance in a zipline than I feel like there are in a skydive. dive. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but, hey, people fear flying. I don't. Uh, so so who knows? But but back to that you hate roller coasters, right. That That's almost it's certainly why. But you can use that to your advantage. You can go, okay, I really don't like this feeling. What don't you like about it? Do you not like the feeling? Do you not like or are you anxious about the fact that you might die? Who knows? But either way, you get to encounter something very uncomfortable and deliberately put yourself there. You actually get to do one better depending on when you go. You get to be confronted with the dread by standing in line. Because I found it. You know how I got over my favorite roller coasters? I remember this clearly, oddly enough. I was six at Geauga Lake, and there was a roller coaster that went did the, the the whole like 360 loop. And before then, I remember even though I was a kid, I was afraid of them. But there was no line for this roller coaster. So I didn't have a chance to wait and let my fear build me up. I just went and hopped on. Only when it was going up the thing that I was like, Oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? And <laughs> I remember this clearly even though I was only six. A lot of people they're in the line for the thing and they're like, Huh. And then you know you as the line moves along next to the coaster, you can see it going up and you hear people yelling and you're like and your imagination starts going. Wow, this thing ain't broke down all summer or the summer before that. But why it's just gonna go off the tracks when I get on? I just know it. So you really get a chance to play with that that fear element. How your mind immediately goes to the worst case scenario, and you get to kind of control it <laughs> and yeah. bring it back.
0: I guess some of my insecurity or doubt. It, it's not always like the design, like the That the physics, the intellectual side of you know this is. Well built and tested, and they have all these safety precautions in place. Mine is more in the mind of like human error. Like at the end of the day, right. there's there's a human <laughs> o- operating this machine, or I, I'm sure and, you heard about a, the, a
1: human that is not well paid either. So
0: exactly, it, it's it's not some you know top flight engineer or something. It's yeah. some kid working their summer job. And then there's also the one, I don't know if you heard about the the person who, like, lost their hat. So they climbed over, like, three different fences. And then someone came by and, like, yep. kicked them in the head. And, you know, I guess I feel bad for the person who, not really, like, followed. <laughs> the, the person who went and got their hat, that's just kind of Darwin's, you know, right. rules taking care of themselves. But the person who, like, broke their leg because some idiot went after that, like, I don't want to be that person. There
1: was a video, there was a story flowing around. Some, some guy at Cedar point, I mean, it was floating around cause it happened. It's not like it was a myth. It was, it was trying to take a selfie and, and went over the edge or, you know, the Darwinism, man. You, now you got to go chase Darwinism. Before that's how easy life is. Before Darwinism found you, now, yeah. You, now, now you got to go find it. And people, people are still, you know, hey.
0: Well, I also think that's why people <laughs> get so into the bungee jumping and all this other stuff. It's, it's people are bored. They, they, they don't have that sense of like I have to figure out a way to survive. So they're going and seeking it out because everything's so easy.
1: Man, forget that. That. <laughs> everything is not and maybe that's like part of my upbringing I don't know but but my girl was raised differently and I would imagine you were raised differently than me and we got the same kind of mentality about this uh but at least for me life is already scary enough man like I grew up in the projects you ever come home at night in the projects I guarantee you do that a few times you'll you'll never need to jump bungee jump again yeah you, you know that that's real that's a real Real fear. You can grow up next to crack dealers and you hear gunshots popping off. Eh, eh, who needs to who needs to white water rafts after that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. just, just stay up long enough to hear people wake up. <laughs> yeah. You'll hear, you'll, you'll see stuff. There's life. But I the, the thrill seeking behavior but you're right. I mean people I feel like people don't feel alive. What it comes down to. I read this somewhere and I wish I could find the exact wording so I would know how to find it again. Uh I, I suppose that we all have different levels of dopamine sensitivity and those of us who are very sensitive to dopamine we don't we don't need to go rush and jump off things because you know life is already rewarding enough those of us who are dopamine resistant however we don't they don't they don't get the same reward from living that the rest of us do so they got to push the envelope because of dopamine resistance. Now, now if anyone's listening to this, who's, who's a neurochemist or a neurobiologist, feel free to, to write me and correct me on, on this theory or point me in the direction of this research, because I have seen this enough and enough, you know, quoted in enough different ways to know it has to be based on something. Apparently it's like, cause, in the same regard, I can't do gambling. Like I, I remember the last time I gambled, I was living in LA it was when the Giants made it. This is how clear it is in my memory. I don't even watch f- that football that much anymore. Yeah. Uh, it was when the Giants were in the second round of the NFC divisional playoffs against the f- Falcons. Not the Falcons, the 49ers. And the game was going back and forth. And I bet $20. $20 on the Falcons. That's it. I mean, not the Falcons, the 49ers. $20. And I broke. I mean, and it wasn't. It was $20 I could lose. It was nothing. And I, I never really had a heart attack watching the game. I, I'm not built for these things like that. That make it, that they, they bring a rush to you that you can't control.
0: Yeah, I I mean I get kind of a similar notion of going into casinos and that feeling of artificiality. And you're like, I know that there's stuff in here that is like working on my brain that I'm not even right. aware of. They, they're purely it, playing ain't on no my subconscious.
1: Light. They pump oxygen in. Yeah. There's always sound. I mean, these are all because all because I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of my all my profiles. I think only two of them haven't been in casinos of some sort, or maybe three. So, so I'm intimately familiar with casinos, and and I'm really and the psychology of a casino fascinates me because here is a thing set up to keep you entertain and take your money, take money from you and, and i always wonder how could someone be so bored that they sit there and press a button press a button press because it's really all it is i mean listen now i'm not talking about card games it's a different story i enjoy poker uh and to a for a purely mathematical reason blackjack but but the rest of the games press a button press a button press a button and you realize that yeah you may have had like a um you may have had a leaning towards the gambling once you get in there man the whole system's set up to, to just keep you there and keep sucking your money right from you. not let you take money directly off your card it's it's really uh, a monster
0: <laughs> yeah i love that you shared that little bit about having to walk home late in the projects mm-hmm. and there's a, a good friend of mine and a for, former guest adam harridan we talk about the idea that there's a kind of Extended childhood for many, and culturally, if you look at kind of the history of humans and small tribes and different ways society's been arranged, there was often a rite of passage or a coming of age that you know you see that ceremonially in like a bar or a bat mitzvah or these other things. Right. But there's less of the actual, uh, maybe real ripping or, or or extreme movement from one phase of your life to another. And I'm curious because you do talk sometimes about masculinity and and these other topics whether that's on on Twitter and elsewhere first what your if if you feel like there was a specific experience or maybe just growing up that that you were pushed in that direction more quickly and if you agree with that notion that in that same way that people are kind of looking to feel alive and looking to chase those thrills if there's also a similar idea going on with people Struggling with that transition from childhood to adulthood.
1: Uh, well, well, for me personally, I remember, I remember clearly when I realized that when I at least realized, okay, I'm the most mature human being in this household, and it's <laughs> gonna be up to me to fend for myself and figure this out. Because if if I leave my development up to, because I lived with my mom, I didn't live with my dad. My dad lived in Philadelphia, uh, and my mom lived here in Pittsburgh. But I remember clear. I was like, this is not going to go well for me if I don't make decisions for myself. I was 11 years old. My mom g- got drunk and got into a fight with some lady in the street. And, okay, I get it. Like, even as an adult, like, you drink, you go do dumb stuff, whatever. What, Well, why the incident stands out to me is, one, I remember holding her back and trying to keep her from going. And, two, you know, she went and did it anyway. And so my mom, I'm like, Wow. This is where we're at. Like I, and, and looking back, and you know, I have clearly now at 32 that I didn't have at 11, but 11 I would definitely be like, yeah, we're not. And from that point, I mean, I'm pretty sure. Like when I got to, when I got to high school, I spent so much time away with my friends, and and I didn't, I didn't, I think I woke. I think I spent maybe two holidays fully at home. You know, but most times I either wake up at a friend's house or I go over there. I mean, I just wasn't interested in being home. I didn't feel like. That was going to nurture and develop me. I felt like where I was, where other things where they were developing me, it was a different structure, a better structure for family. So, for me, I mean, I think that's a little early. Like, and not just literally; that's way early. But there was definitely a transition from you, because it, it's a, it's a naivety that was gone. Right? You, we we need to grow up thinking that our parents take care of us. And that the world is kind of a nice place. Even if it isn't, we got We have to believe that so we don't transition too early before we have the emotional maturity to cope with some of the things that we see and what have to do to protect ourselves. Well, I was not afforded that luxury. And and so there was a quick shift over. And I, and I think I handled it all right. And I'm certainly okay now. But this is like years. I mean, this is just 20 years ago. 20 years and, and certainly many, many mistakes along the way in terms of how I dealt with myself and the world around me, but it has to start somewhere. As far as other people and relating this relating other people and their like lack of some type of ritual or or event to make them transition compared to mine and how I feel, I think what most people are missing, back to that Darwinism idea, society is really too easy. It's too easy, and because there is not a difficult external challenge, there is no reason to move from this stage completely when you're a child to when you are a fully functional, capable adult. Somebody asked a question on on Twitter. I I chimed in and gave my my two cents. "When, when When is a boy considered a man? And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I was like, I know when. A boy is considered a man when he has his first major catastrophe, whether that's financial, physical, emotional, whatever. And he recovers from it without his parents even knowing that it happened in the first place. At that point, he has embraced the world and has embraced the ugliness that is the world. And has survived and come back from it, and didn't rely on his parents for any type of support, because that's that's what they're there for. I mean, none of us none of us wrote a letter, uh, and went, you know, dear dear mom and dad, it would be great if you guys, you know, fertilized and and had me. P.S. Nine months, right? No, yeah. <laughs> they made a decision, and you're here as a result. So it's, it's I think it's the parents' job to rear you up to a certain point. But at some point you gotta you gotta bounce, right? <laughs> yeah. And what we lack is a bouncing event because society's it's just too easy. It's just too easy. What a lot of you know, and, and society can change all at once too. This is what people get upset about. At least, you know, this is kind of like what what I take it a different way because I see it a different way. But generally speaking, right? This is what a lot of Red peeling, red pill ideas are what it comes down to. Society is too easy. Our, our society thinks a certain way. Human biology drives you another way and all of the problems we have is when we have the class but don't consider how to best mitigate it or direct people to a certain course of behavior. With, well, I'm saying that because the issue with men, right if, if we, we say there's an issue with men mature and developing. Human nature is going to want us to chill out and, and seek pleasure and minimize discomfort. Okay, that's that's acceptable. Human nature is also going to want us to have an attractive woman around and have means to have great things. But society has nothing to force us to develop anymore. We're not going to develop on our own. We want to avoid the pain. Remember that. But society has taken away all the things that make people grow and develop. You know why they called the, the generation from World War II the greatest generation ever? Man, what did you have to survive? The Great Depression, World War II, right? And these are just regular people. We're not, we're not talking about anyone that survived the Reconstruction of the South. These, these are hard events and a hard life didn't make hard hearty human beings that really value a process and really value life, and it's not—it's not, it's not that. it wasn't the Netflix and chill generation. It wasn't the tender generation. It wasn't the self, selfie go. People were just happy to have a job and, and make things happen. And, you know, I saw things side by side, and it really summed it up. It—it it, was—it was some some girl holding a sign up that goes, uh, "I have, I have my 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 degree in gender studies. Hire me." And it was a sign from a god during depression, and he goes, I speak three languages and served in a war, and I can't find a job. <laughs> will work for anything. And it was like, it's the thing. There's nothing to force people to develop. That's why people can get away with major and stuff like gender studies. Because I can tell you tell I'm blue in the face, go be an electrical engineer. You're going to look at your surroundings and go, what the hell should I do that for? That's very, very difficult. <laughs> I don't want to do that difficulty. Everyone around me is drinking and partying at school. I really want to do that. That seems easier. Uh, and then you got pe- you got people who came from that generation. It's not that their advice is bad. It just no longer applies, which is, doesn't matter what you major in. Just get a degree, right? They tell you that. And, then, and so they support a lot of dumb decisions. So you get this whole generation of people who do not have anything forcing them to embrace pain so they move away from it and i always say if you you can you're going to be in pain no matter what are you going to be in pain because you were going after something or you're going to be in pain because you're running away from something either way it's going to burn your legs right what what are you going to hurt for and no one's hurting to get better everyone is everyone's trying to trying to stay a certain way and then all of a sudden they're 35 and they're like what the hell happened right and but but what I think is there gonna be a whole generation of, like man babies. I, I got I got no other word for it. Like it's gonna be a whole generation of people who who were freaking. I remember when I worked at Starbucks. I was twenty one when when this when the internet first started. that will be even worse, I think. But uh, a bunch of people. I think I was the only one. But there was one other girl, but everyone else there had bachelor's and master's degrees, and I was like, what the hell happened? Like what? How many wrong choices do you have to make? To take out dental or master's degree and end up working at as a barista for like, well, what are we making like an on an hour maybe plus tips. How many bad choices do you have to make? Well, a better question is how many hard choices did you get to avoid? And when you look at when you start looking at things like that, then it all makes sense. And a lot more things will make sense instead of looking at what you did wrong. Look at the hard things you had to avoid.
0: Yeah. One of the, I, I've just picked this up really recently. It's I, I love that you said that because it's, it's coming back to me, but uh, every morning I'm trying to say, I'm going to do the simple things that are hard because all these choices, whether that's, you know, you did your deadlifts and rows this morning, I did my pushups, whether that's, you know, I'm going to eat vegetables and not processed foods right. or all these things are simple. The, the, the idea that we don't know what we're supposed to be doing or that we don't know what the things are that lead to success are is a fallacy but making the hard decision to not just do it once but do it over and Ew. over and over and over again is hard that, that that is not an easy thing to do for most people so really trying to hone in on what simple things that are hard can i do every single day that that to me is the number one kind of idea i'm trying to latch on to right
1: um because man it I really over the past year, I really oh well, past six months, half the year's past, I really started to learn how to make money online. And and put it out in general is just understanding money, right? And it's not complicated. You don't need a finance degree. You know what you 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 know the simplest thing you have to understand. This is just about money, right? And I think many things in life, but money, the simplest thing you have to understand is if you give people something valuable, they'll pay you for it. That's it, right? You ever heard that joke? Like, oh, man, if I could get a, if I could get a million people to, to give me $1, I'd have a million dollars. Well, you, it'd probably be a lot easier if you created something that people were like, ah, $15 is a steal. I'm going to buy that and then go learn, you know, the nuts and bolts of marketing, whatever. But the the I wish you could have seen my first website when I first started out online with anything. It was just, an, I mean, it was ugly. <laughs> There's no other word for it. Now it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's SEO optimized, and and I have a lot of people that support and like the reading and like the writing. But you just gotta start. And and I wrote. I don't. I don't write as much then. Is I don't write as much now as I did then. But that's only because I'm working on the projects. To build in and continue to increase value, because you can do any, you can do a lot of things wrong. Believe me, I've done a lot of things wrong. They probably, you know, left some dollars on the table, whatever, right? But the one thing I have not done wrong, which is why I, I think I continue to attract opportunities and meet cool people, is I give value, and it's just a simple idea, super simple. You know, if if you get that. you can mess up anything else. Like, you literally can mess up anything else. I mean, here's how much we're saying you can mess up. For a long time, <laughs> I didn't know my mailing list link was broke. Traffic was cool, right? Didn't know yeah. that I was broke. Uh, what else was wrong? Oh, man, I, I, you know, you put out some bad articles or whatever, and people go, that's not going to fly. But you, you put out value. But we, we take that idea to anything else. Same with dieting, right? Eating right and health, man. You, people will put together whole books and go for them because it looks valuable and it is value. But the the super easiest way to be healthy, I tell people three things. Four, if you want to be optional and live like me, but three things: avoid sugar, cook your own meals, and don't consume calories. You do those three things, man. You live forever. We're not living. You'll, you at the very least, you'll, you'll eliminate most of what's gonna break you down. And then the fourth optional thing, I don't drink alcohol. But like, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But, but, but the three things for sure. It's so super simple. It ain't no count calories. Ain't no macro micronutrients. Don't know about cutting or fasting. Just do those three things. It'll be all good. You didn't really gotta to go to the gym for real. I mean but you can. But. Yeah.
0: I, I just feel like when I work out or go to the gym, it makes it easier for me to make that decision to eat well. Cause I'm like I I did this workout, like I'm a little sore. I'm not gonna ruin that by right. throwing if, Cheetos in my mouth.
1: Stacking good habits.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. start
1: with one habit, it's easier to stack another one, another one, and before you know it. Before you know it, you get no tolerance for people with bad habits. Yeah. You know, and then you, know, you get to that, and you, all of a sudden, you're the, you're the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: uh, I dig it. Um, we're going to start wrapping up here. Before I ask the last two questions, I have to ask you one you might find a little bit annoying. Mayweather-McGregor. I'm oh, not, I'm not, I don't know anything about boxing. Is this?
1: And you certainly aren't going to learn
0: anything <laughs>
1: from this. The Mayweather-McGregor thing, man, look. I I really I applaud and and I I look at it from all angles. So first, let me say the positives. I think it is a great business move because I can, I can only imagine like, like like when you hear something like that, you would like to think, man, that's a great idea. Maybe man, I, mean, I, I would have done the same thing. I'm not going to lie, and I don't think anyone else will well i there is no way if we weren't if i was in a room and i was part of mayweather's team and somebody said yo man you know what sounds like a good idea we should have him fight conor mcgregor i "Man, sit your ass down <laughs> like there's there's no way anyone thought that was would think that's a good idea but but someone raised their hand in the meeting in real life and said you know what i think will be a good idea and they went uh, we'll run with it and and i really think somehow He'll make more money probably from that fight than when he fought Pacquiao. But we'll see the numbers. Business isn't great. Let's talk about the bad now. Here's a guy who totes himself as the best ever. Whatever, right? And this is just a boxing pet peeve. Totes himself as the best ever. You know, wants to put himself in that conversation. Has enough money, so he doesn't need to do it for money. So why not go fight there, there, any number of gods that you could fight. That, that you know, the the people would care about, and we're not just talking about the lay fan. I mean, people will legit care about names that are up and coming, but maybe they beat you, maybe they don't. But the point is, we you do this, and I don't think it's it's the best. I already said. The best thing, that I already said one of the worst things that happened to boxing was when Mayweather finally decided to fight Pacquiao. Passed Pacquiao's prom, and the fight just wasn't, and then it was double, you know, price, and it wasn't a good fight. I think this is probably even worse for boxing. But this is just how I feel about this versus boxing, too, right? Let's put this in perspective. Here's a guy that won a gold medal. That means he probably had about 200 amateur fights, maybe three. 49 professional fights. Been doing this his whole life. You know, how many boxing matches has Conor McGregor had? None, man. None. I'd be, uh, you know, now, now if they had a clause building where Mayweather goes to the cage, I would be interested in that. Yeah. Like, I would actually watch the boxing match, and then, like, if they, they had a clause six months later, it goes to the cage, I'd be interested in that. Right, but I'm not interested in this. I mean, I don't even know what date it is. I, I, apparently, it's signed or whatever. I, I, but we got we got Triple G versus Alvarez. We got uh, it's another good fight coming up. I can't even remember. They were just talking about a while. Wow. Oh, Ward and Kovalev, possibly a unification bout at heavyweight with Joshua. And Wilder or we get Joseph Parker to fight one of those. There's just there's just too many good fights and, and somehow this is what people care about. So good good great great business move. In terms of for the sport, not interested. Now, I remember mean, I don't even want to care cares in a fight. I mean I know the caliber of the opponents he's fight. This fight should not last very long.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. Uh, and they are doing an amazing job of marketing it and getting eyeballs and people to care about way
1: better than i thought they were let's put it like that man so somebody was really somebody deserves a gold star because that that's a great idea yeah yeah, it is it's gonna be great I mean, it's gonna be huge i'm not gonna
0: yeah well if if people have liked all this perspective that you've shared in today's interview i really want to encourage them to connect with you in the digital world uh you are i i'd say in like a select tier must follows in my opinion on twitter oh, thanks, um but if people want to connect with you in the digital world uh you're on twitter at ed Lattimore. where else can people check out your writing and the other stuff you're working on
1: ed Lattimore twitter right and the website is www.edlattimore.com. every now and then i put little snippets on facebook on my on my fan page it's just Ed Lattimore boxer but i also send those to my mailing list as well uh do a lot of writings keep the mind sharp man writing 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 so so yeah the main page though twitter and facebook to or, or twitter and my website and facebook
0: awesome well we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes at going deep with slash podcast this will be episode 226 once again you can check that out at going deep com slash podcast uh, but, Ed, as we do at the end of every episode, I like it when my guests can issue an actionable personal challenge to leave them at the end of the interview with uh, something to go do. So I want to give you the mic one final time to challenge the audience.
1: Do something you're afraid of. It's not going to, you know, obviously don't go jump off a building or something stupid like that. Do something that you're afraid of to get your blood pumping and the. You think people care about the outcome, but they don't really care, man. Go talk to some girl you've been, been worried about or whatever, or, or go apply to some job, or or, tell, or apologize to a friend, get forgiven. Do, do something that's going to make you uncomfortable as heck, and then realize you're fine afterwards, and that's where it starts. You realize the world doesn't end, the world doesn't care, and then you really get power
0: and it translates across all those different areas you do it in one area and those other consecutive areas are going to get easier absolutely awesome uh well thank you so much for coming here and sharing your time with us and your perspective we just went deep with ed Lattimore. hope everyone out there has a fantastic day Hey, thank you so much for listening. Please hit subscribe if you've not already done so and get excited for some of our forthcoming episodes if you've been enjoying the recent episodes on Ethereum and the blockchain. We have a fascinating interview coming next week with the co-founders of Colony.io. They are looking to revolutionize project management And the way that firms and corporations are structured in the age of the gig economy of freelancers and a new world of work, they are thinking deeply about how to help more people flourish and make organizations more effective. You are not going to want to miss that or any forthcoming episodes of the show. So make sure you're subscribed to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.